If you're able to do so, I ask you to stand. We do this in the honor of the reading of God's Word. Because we believe this is Holy Scripture, divinely inspired and preserved so that we have it today. And we will be reading from the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 13. Uh, we'll read the first 13 verses, and I should emphasize that in this particular passage, I'm going to read from the classic translation, the King James Version, in part because of its poetic beauty, but also because of its particular use of one term, charity, which understand it to mean it is the highest form of self-sacrificing love, the Greek term agape. So in this translation, that's the application of the term charity. Here now is the word of the Lord. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I'm nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not seem itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail, whether there be tongues, they shall cease, whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. Thank you, and please be seated. We're several slides ahead, Ron. Last week, as you may recall, we started a series of messages called Potholes in Our Road of Sanctification. Our focus last week was on the group of people known as the Pharisees and how that mindset still exists today, often doing much harm to churches wherever they go. They tend to hurt other people. They literally drill holes in their road of sanctification, both their own road and the road of other believers. So today we're going to transition to this week's message by quoting an old saying in the counseling world, which is this slide. Hurt people hurt people. Those who have been spiritually and emotionally damaged have a tendency to pass their pain on to others. Until churches actively promote 1 Corinthians 13, we're going to continue to be negatively influenced by people who may be very knowledgeable of Scripture, but they do not know how to apply it because they are so spiritually damaged. 
Christians today have to face the reality of our emotional health, not just our spiritual health. These two are connected. We can't address one and ignore the other. So today we're going to talk about the symptoms of those who really are the walking wounded in our churches today, many of whom were spiritually and emotionally injured by a modern-day Pharisee from their past. And as I stated last week, I don't see anybody who fits that description in this congregation currently, modern-day Pharisee description. But I do see evidence that there are people in this church who carry a lot of hurt, perhaps from their own challenges, but perhaps because it's been inflicted on them by a fellow believer in the past. And I shared with you last week that I see these symptoms in myself. And I know I need to pray for some of those people. And I confess to you, it is sometimes hard for me to pray for them because I've seen how harmful, how hurtful they've been to others. I need to pray the Holy Spirit's going to open their eyes to their toxic demeanor and their wrongful actions. And yes, it's difficult for me to do that sometimes. Even as an ordained minister of Jesus Christ, it's difficult because, like you, I'm a fallen sinner in need of God's grace. I shared with you how Terry and I wrestled with some of these things back in the 90s. The pain of the struggle with infertility that we went through at that time. And some of the very hurtful, insensitive comments, judgmental comments, made by a handful of individuals in the church that we were members of at the time. But for these reasons, it's important we know the signs in ourselves and others, and that's why I think it's appropriate to walk through the symptoms of people who show these kinds of hurts. We won't be able to extend the kind of self-sacrificing love, charity, unless we know what it is that we're looking for in ourselves as well as in them. So let's walk through some of the common traits that people will display when they are the so-called walking wounded these are people who may very well be Christian believers, but the combination of circumstances has them really damaged, and very often it was the words of fellow believers that did much of the damage. So let's start out with the first descriptor. Hurt people often transfer their anger onto their family and close friends. You may be familiar with an old saying, you always hurt the one you love. I'm not certain. I think that's an old song, isn't it? Very often, the people around them receive some pretty harsh tones, even moments of rage. And it happens because somebody unknowingly strikes a sensitive spot. I can tell you, I've been on the receiving end of that. In professional settings, certainly, as a school administrator, you do get that. But in ministry, you get that as well. I can tell you that in some ways, Terry and I following this call to ministry was because we wanted to be able to try to help people who have been through the things that we went through back then, back in the 90s. Next thing to watch out for, really kind of piggybacks on this first one, people who are hurting interpret almost every word spoken through the lens of their pain. Very often these past emotional wounds have them misinterpreting things even ordinary words, as being something negative towards them. They suspect evil intentions when they were well-meaning actions. They're very sensitive, and they act through that lens. I remember there was one colleague. This is way back in the Gladwin days when I was a pretty young teacher. And I remember 
It was a teacher who was going through a really rough time, and he had a history of particularly being known for his anger. One morning, we came into the building at the same time, and I said to him, I just looked, and I smiled, and I said, good morning. And his response was he gave me a look that could practically send lightning bolts through me, and he said, you really got a lot of nerve, you know what? He was hurting, and I didn't know the details. Whether he was a believer or not, I have a hunch that part of what he was hurting was the kind of judgmental words that someone had given him. Now, they will also tend to portray themselves as victims, even when that's not fair. But they'll use that word. They'll say, this is unfair, this is unjust. They'll say it even when there isn't really a basis for it. They have a hard time entering into a trusting relationship because they're suspicious of everything. And they tend to be very easily influenced by people who are opportunists. That's why some of the divisions of Christianity that really aren't Christian at all, they're really cults, but they kind of masquerade as Christianity. Believers who have been badly hurt by this are particularly susceptible to those kinds of movements. They don't have any close friends, and they wonder why. But it's because they almost alienate anybody that tries to get close to them. And a key observation from people who have served as counseling professionals, unless their pain has been, unless their woundedness has been worked through properly, on that particular issue, they actually remain at about the emotional maturity of the age in which they were hurt so badly. They're trapped in this pit, and they just can't get out. For any of us, this needs to be worked through properly in order for us to find healing. Most of the time, that's not what we do. We just sweep it under the rug. Then we act surprised when it never really goes away. It becomes just like a huge emotional scab that never really heals properly. Fifth point. Very often, these folks are frustrated and they develop depression because their past pain never goes away. It just continually spills over into every relationship. They have a tendency to not be aware of the cause of this. They compartmentalize it. They basically kind of layer things over. The phrase that's typically used is that they have to learn how to empty their emotional trash can. And if they can't do that, sooner or later it's going to just overflow. Now they may also almost erupt with inappropriate emotions because certain words or actions will trigger this past woundedness. I remember there was something like that that I ran across when I was an elementary school principal. There was a decision I had to make, and it wasn't, objectively, it wasn't a difficult decision to make. It was obvious what I needed to do. But man, oh man, did that ever set off a firestorm. And I, became to real, I came to realize after a while, the more that I learned about it, is that the person's anger had nothing to do with me. It was damage that was there in their life for many, many years. I was just the lucky recipient of it. But I do believe this, and Claudia touched on this. God permits things to happen, and he uses them for his good purposes. If Terry and I had not had the experiences that we had with some modern-day Pharisees in our past, I don't think that we would recognize the symptoms and we wouldn't be able to help shepherd people through similar situations. For that reason, both of us went through um, a 16-week training session that was called Stephen Ministry. It's a uniquely Christian caregiving ministry. 
A lot of it is just a lot of what's called reflective listening, in which the people talk, and you will occasionally redirect them and kind of ask them questions. It also helps you to help realize whether they need a higher level of care, a higher level of expertise. So often, the people that we have worked with, and this is one-on-one, -on -one, typically, we find that their difficulty is that they were just hurt badly by a fellow believer at some point in the past. And it really brings home the reality that hurt people hurt people. If you're a ministry volunteer, whether you work as a volunteer or whether you work in a leadership role or whether you work in camp ministry or in any of those settings, if we're carrying a lot of this baggage Sometimes our way of dealing with it is we just immerse ourselves in more, more activities, more programs, more stuff. We do have to be careful, particularly ministers. More doesn't always mean more effective. There are times there's wisdom to an old saying, less is more. And we have to be careful about our attempts to basically medicate ourselves. Now you might say, well, come on, Jim, proper medication is a godsend. And my answer is, of course it is. How blessed that we are to live in a time where there is a proper use for modern medicine. What a tremendous blessing. But when it's misused or even abused, it can become very problematic. But don't overlook the other ways of medicating people. Sometimes they medicate themselves with alcohol, other substance abuse. Or they medicate themselves with inappropriate and illicit relationships, extramarital affairs. They often do this as, as an effort to run from their pain. It's not an excuse, but it is an explanation. And it's something that any of us have to watch out for. It's a broad statement when it comes to the desire for healing on these things. Until Christianity, and I'm speaking really conservative Christianity, begins to deal with the needs of the emotional life and health of the believer, we're going to continue to have Christian believers who read their Bible but they miss the sense of victory because they haven't faced the woundedness in their hearts and in their souls. And the saddest part of this is many of those people tend to do one of two things. They either basically crawl into a hole, into a pit, and for sometimes many years they live their life in that pit, or they lash out and they become a modern-day Pharisee who then damages others who goes on to damage others, who goes on to damage others. And it's like a set of dominoes. Unless you put some sort of a stop in there, the dominoes will continue to fall. Maybe you even heard of stories of things like this happening, where people who are believers, they go to their church. They go to their church family. And instead of getting good guidance and support, all they get is condemnation. I've even heard of stories where people who were facing and struggling with depression, where they were told by people in their church that it's a sin to have depression and therefore it's a sin to seek treatment for depression. Here's the thing, is that if you were told you had a heart condition, is it a sin to have a heart condition? Is it a sin to seek treatment for a heart condition? I mean, that first statement, where's the charity, where's the love in telling people that it's a sin to have depression, let alone to seek treatment. And yet there are some ultra, ultra conservative branches of Christianity that say that. 
And quite honestly, I think they ought to be ashamed of themselves because they are blasting huge craters in the walk of those people's road of sanctification. The worst part about this, Satan is thrilled when they do that. Satan is absolutely thrilled. So with all this as the backdrop, let's go back to 1 Corinthians 13. Sometimes called a love chapter. There are other love chapters in Scripture. But it's overflowing on this sense of charity, often translated as love in modern English translations. But frankly, I think that in this instance, the King James translators used a better term. There are at least four different kinds of love that the Greek term uses. There's the agape love, which is what this is really speaking of, the highest form of self-sacrificing love. There's the love that exists within family members, you know, within cousins and siblings. There's the love you feel for an institution or, or for a country. People say, I love America. I love First Union Church. But those aren't the same kinds of love as the first two I spoke of. Then there's the Greek term eros, which refers to the love between a husband and a wife. So these are all different terms. So when the modern English translations just name them all love, it probably, in that instance, isn't the best way to translate it. Why did they use charity? We think of charity today in a different way than I think they did 400 years ago. My best understanding is that they chose the word charity because it reflected the Latin Bible, which used the term caritas. It refers to this highest self-sacrificing form of love. But when hurt people hurt other people, this displeases God because it damages his creation. It damages you and me. His purpose for us is that this walk down our road of sanctification from the moment we first believe until our last breath, we are being conformed more and more into the likeness of Christ. That's Romans 8.29. And that walk includes painful situations when we have to face the moments we've wrestled with for years. Now, if I may, I have another observation to share with you, and that's that I've noticed that if the troubles that we have when we're younger, particularly in our late teens and our early 20s, if we don't properly deal with them, they have a tendency to resurface in our late 30s and early 40s. And during those years, that's when the so-called midlife crisis comes up. It's a time in our life where we're prone to make some poor choices. And in some cases, it could be caused by that past woundedness that we've never really dealt with. We start asking questions like, is this all that there is to life? Is there nothing more? But throughout scripture, we need to cling to the reality. Christians are told to love one another in the sense that love doesn't harm its neighbor. We know we're not supposed to hurt each other physically, but words hurt people. And yes, that doesn't mean we shouldn't speak the truth. But very often, if we don't speak it properly, the damage that we cause is far greater. I think one of the worst things about poorly chosen words is that it causes us to question our standing with God. It causes us to doubt things where Scripture says, don't doubt, be assured. In some cases, it even causes people to question that perhaps maybe they're not really saved because we're not living up to someone else's declared explanations. That's the impact of a modern-day Pharisee that we spoke of last week, how it hurts 
others and creates this set of dominoes. Hurt people hurt people. As I said, speaking the truth is essential. Doing it in a way that lacks compassion, that's the problem. Satan is thrilled when Christians hurt each other like that. But there are fruits of a regenerated heart, a truly regenerated heart. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. And none of us achieve these things all the time, we know that. But we should see a pattern of them and a desire to develop more of them as we walk down that road, that path of our sanctification. And we should see here and recognize the symptoms of those who are hurting along the way. We should recognize those symptoms in ourselves. And then we need to seek forgiveness if we realize that we're actually guilty of hurting someone else. And along that, as needed, we shouldn't be afraid to reach out and seek the guidance of someone with proper training, a Christian counselor or therapist, at times, to help us work through those matters. You see, the potholes that are in our road of sanctification are caused very often by fellow believers who have so many potholes in their road that they start blasting craters in someone else's road. So how do we take the first steps toward healing this? Now what? Well, prayer, the most underutilized gift that we have, that we've been given. The opportunity to go directly to the creator of the universe. But we need to remember, being careful with our words. Once they're said, they may be forgiven, but they're rarely forgotten. A few weeks ago, the last time Karen Shading brought the children's message, she did a demonstration with a tube of toothpaste. Do you remember that? She had a plate, and she said to the kids, squeeze this thing real hard, and that toothpaste just came out like there was no tomorrow. And then she said, now put it back in. And they tried to do it. But like harshly, inappropriately spoken words, when those words are out, they might be forgiven, but boy, oh boy, it's going to be harder for them to be forgotten. Words scar more than you think. The tongue has no bones, but is strong enough to break the heart of a fellow brother or sister in Christ. I'll quote from James 3, verse 5 to 6. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. It's a pretty emphatic, blunt statement from God's word. So consider the contrast here. The world says to us, basically, don't get mad, get even. Here's what God's word says. Romans 12, 17, recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with one another. Or Romans 4, 19, so then let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. Or Ephesians 4, verse 30 to 32. Do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing you will be saved on the day of redemption. So get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, and all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. And when you really think about it, all the damage in the road 
of faith of fellow believers would be avoided if we just followed those three passages. This tells us how we should relate to fellow believers. And when we have disagreements, or more than just disagreements, sometimes you just agree to disagree. But when you feel like you've really been wronged by a fellow believer, Matthew 18 explains the process of how to work that through. But you see today, so many of us are the walking wounded of the faith. But if you're still hurting and you feel like your growth in Christ has stopped, there is hope for you. And there is hope because, one, God is able and he's willing to bring healing to you. But it may very well be that he works through a properly trained individual. Perhaps a pastor, but it could be a properly trained Christian counselor who has the skills to know how to work that through with you. But second point is you may find that your path to healing passes directly through what I'm going to call the valley of forgiveness. I'll be talking about this as the fourth message in this series, but you may find that forgiving others isn't as hard as forgiving yourself. And you may find that. Finally, never let anyone make you question whether you're good enough for God's forgiveness. Because none of us are on our own. That's why he sent his only begotten son, to pay the price we can never pay. The God of all creation sent his son to die for us. And he did it while we were yet still sinners. He died for us. So if you believe Jesus is who he says he is, you believe that his death on the cross was completely sufficient, one day you stand before God, not just as a forgiven believer, you're viewed as perfect because Christ's perfections have been transferred to you. Theological term, imputed to you. In one event up front, the moment you first believe. And that's a very different message than we get from those who hurt us. Now, isn't it? Think of this. Closing thought. The one who brought all things into existence by the very act of simply saying, let it be, can bring healing and restoration to the wounded hearts and souls of all who come to him in repentance, faith, and prayer, and who place their hope for eternity in his loving arms. These are the people who will find hope, faith, and charity. But of these, the greatest is charity. Let's pray. Lord, this is another one of these difficult messages. I'm praying that I delivered it properly. We need to recognize these symptoms in ourselves and in one another. Understanding why doesn't excuse it, but it gives us a path forward. They are all just signs of the fallenness of the world. But it's a world that you love and that you are coming again to redeem. And by your grace, you've called us to a saving faith. And you persevere in our lives until you call us into your presence or until you come again, whichever comes first. But Lord, may you move on each of us so that we can consider if there's anybody that we need to seek a reconciliation with. Or if reconciliation isn't possible, at least to let them go, to forgive them as you have forgiven us. We place all of this into your mighty hands, Lord. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.